Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom, this is Rabbi Adam Kligfeld, and it's my honor to be uh, teaching in Daily Daf differently. This is the second time I've done it, and uh, we're on Nidarim, page 40. Uh, first thing I want to say is that for those of you who've been studying along, first of all, kol to you. I imagine there's been a lot of the Masechet, which is very dense regarding laws and customs that were not uh, so connected to in the modern world. Um, when you study Talmud, you're you're in for one, you're in for all. So you go through pages that have material rich in relevance and then some really uh, chunky, dense material um, that just getting to the base understanding is a challenge. And uh, again, I want to congratulate all of you on getting through that thick material. On the 40th page of Nadarim, in addition to material which is also very thick. We also get the the blessing, if that's the word, of some wonderful anecdotes and laws regarding Bikur Cholim, regarding the mitzvah of visiting the sick, that have immediate relevance, even as it asks us to consider our own commitments to that mitzvah, and frankly, to consider our own theologies regarding um, uh, how prayer works and to what extent we can... Um, Beg God's mercy upon us. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus today on the first part of Nadarim 40 um, and focus on these issues of Birkucholim. First, we learned that Rav Chel, Rabbi Chelbo uh, got sick. There are a lot of stories in the Talmud of rabbis getting sick and people going to visit him. In this case, uh, what's interesting, sad, maybe this is a window into the fact that the rabbinic culture was by far not a perfect culture and that you know, not everyone was doing mitzvot as they should. He got sick, um, and no one comes to visit him. Lo ika ate. No one came to visit him. Um, and he's, he's very upset that no one came to visit him, and he basically chides his colleagues or the people in his house, saying this is not what happened when the student of Rabbi Akiva got sick. And he brings in the famous story, I think it's a pretty famous story, of Rabbi, Akiv, Rabbi Akiva's student who got sick, uh, and the Talmud records, Lo And when Rabbi Akiva's students got sick, uh, the sages did not come and visit him. And what did Rabbi Akiva do? Rabbi Akiva levakro. Rabbi Akiva comes to visit him. Now that's an extraordinary thing. Um, it shouldn't be extraordinary, but extraordinary because um, Rabbi Akiva is the great sage of his generation. Uh, he's exemplifying here that it's never beneath anyone to go visit the sick, but he doesn't just go visit him. The, to- the Torah, the Talmud goes on to explain that when he's in there, uh, and just try to picture it, picture, uh, I don't know, a, a hovel in the rabbinic era with a, a, ra- a rabbi or a student who's sick. Um, it probably doesn't smell very good. It's probably not very clean. Uh, and he goes in not just to be with his student, but it says that he sweeps the floor and he cleans up um, and in doing so, he revives him. So first of all, the story is being brought to shame the people who didn't come to visit Rabbi Chelbo when he was sick, but it's also being brought as an example uh, regarding the extent to which you have to um, um, 
make yourself uncomfortable for someone else's comfort, and also the impact. So at the end of Rabbi Akiva's visit, he gives the following exposition. Whoever does not visit the sick, it's as if they have spilled blood. A very, very harsh, harsh statement, which has was turned into a, uh, a, a two-sided statement by Rav Dimi, who would come from the land of Israel studying laws there and go back to his community in Babylonia. When he brought this teaching back to Babylonia, he softened it a bit by giving it the other side. Amar, call him Anybody who visits the sick causes the person to revive, to live. And the other side, and those, anyone who does not visit the sick, it causes the person to die. What's going on here? Um, first of all, it's a very, very uh, harsh way of inducing a community of people to go visit the sick. But if we if we put that aside and just try to get at what Rabbi Akiva is teaching, why is it that visiting the sick, or why is it that we think the rabbis believed that visiting the sick, um, A, could have such a positive impact on the person such that they would revive, and not doing it would actually cause them to die? Uh, I, I want to share with you that I think that there are uh, at least two explanations. There is the metaphysical, and then there's the uber-practical and physical. The medical, f- metaphysical reason is you have to remember that the rabbis believed, or at least professed to believe, and I know that's an important distinction, that prayer worked linearly, that if you prayed to God, God would listen, and if you were righteous, God would listen even more, and God would do something about it. Um, so one reason is that if you went to go visit the sick, you would see how much the person was in need of healing, and in addition to saying a Misha Berach and holding the person's hand, you would add this person more conscientiously to your prayers. And if you prayed, then God would listen. And the idea is that if you heard someone was sick, you might not put that person so deeply in your prayers in your Rifa'inu paragraph of the Amidah. But if you see them struggling, you're going to pray for them directly, and God's going to listen, the person's going to get better. I, I think that uh, people believed it then, and I think some people believe it now, and uh, we don't know to what extent prayer does work, but we have no proof that it doesn't. And so I think we can still hold on to that metaphysical explanation. There's a f- practical reason as well. The Talmud exp- shows Rabbi Akiva going in just to do the mitzvah of Bikur Cholim, but while he's there, he tidies up the house. He sweeps up the floor. We can imagine that he did other things to make the person feel more comfortable. Have you ever been sick? You know that um, the environment around you can sometimes feel sick. And if you have someone who's lovingly taking care of you and taking care of the space and bringing you food and making the, you know, opening the windows to get fresh air in there, that can have a positive emotional and physiological impact on you. And so I think we have to understand here that Rabbi Akiva is not just helping the person get healed by God, but he's creating a space in which the person can get better uh, on his or her own. And I think the idea here is that once you go in to do one mitzvah, there's a notion in Pirkei Avot, mitzvah, gorerit mitzvah, that one mitzvah pulls another. You go in to hold a person's hand by their bedside. When you're there, that encounter is going to awaken within you a sense of, of, of serving other people's needs, a sense of humility, a sense of doing the work comprehensively that you simply wouldn't have felt if you were not in that person's presence. Can't you think of a moment in your life like that where it was only because you first put yourself in a somewhat vulnerable situation that you could easily have convinced yourself not to do that you exposed yourself to more vulnerability 
and more beautiful acts. And so I think that's what's going on here as well. Rabbi Akiva goes in to pay a bigger holy visit, and while he's there, he does all these other things that contribute to the person's healing. Um, I remember when uh, I was once driving across country, and uh, by total coincidence, I ended up in Omaha, Nebraska overnight. I was with my family, my young kids, and uh, it just so happened that there's a conservative shul in Omaha, and I checked to see if there was Minion the next morning. I, I like going to Minion whenever I can, but it would have involved waking up very early, possibly leaving the hotel before and with the kids woke up and trying not to wake them. I debated, should I do it, should I not do it? I decided to do it. I set my alarm to go off very, very um, quietly. I got up. I get left the left the hotel room very quietly. I made it to the shul in Omaha, and as it turns out, I was the tenth. Not only was I the tenth, but no one else came afterwards. Um, I share that story because it's always a reminder that the decision whether to or whether or not to go to Minion, it's always the right decision to go to Minion because you never know when you're going to be the tenth. It's always the right decision to make a shiva call because you never know when your visit, your presence is going to give the person a sense of uplift. It's always the right decision, I think this piece of Gemara is teaching us, to visit the sick because you have no idea the impact that you could have either on a um, metaphysical, spiritual level with God's um, presence being invoked or simply you are doing things when you are there which contributes to this person's healing. That's the first part of this that I wanted to explore. The second part of it is shorter. Um, we have a story of Rava, one of the great rabbis of the Talmud, who um, had a kind of a policy about when he got sick. Yoma Kadma on the first day that he would get sick, he would say to all the people of his household, um, don't tell anyone that I'm sick yet. Hold off on sharing the news. Why? He says, because if people know that I'm sick, somehow that will ruin my luck. What's going on there? Why would people knowing that he's sick ruin his luck or ruin his fortune? You would think that someone would want people to know that they're sick. So I'll offer you two um, explanations from the commentaries. A medieval commentator called the Meiri says, the reason he want people to know is because even though he knew he was sick, if other people knew he was sick, they would come visit, and he wasn't quite ready for a visit. A visit to a sick person on the first day that they're sick could frighten them. Why? It might suggest that their situation is more severe than it actually is. It makes it seem real. The modern analog of this is when do you put someone on a Misha Berach? When do you put yourself on a Misha Berach? How sick do you have to get for you to be public or semi-public about it? Rabbi says, on the first day I get sick, I, I don't want visits yet. I don't want to be reminded that I'm under the weather. Maybe I'll just get better without that help. Uh, the second explanation, which is offered by several different commentators, um, goes back to this idea that our words and our prayers have power. If people know that he's sick, then people will start talking about his being sick. People will assume he may be sicker than he actually is. Speak about him as being a sicker person, and somehow that will head up to the heavens and, and, and make him a sicker person than he actually is. It will concretize the illness. It will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So he doesn't want people to um, know that he's sick until the second day. But on the second day, he says, go announce that I'm sick. And um, he explained uh, two reasons for it. First of all, the people who love me will come visit me and libae alai rachamai They will um, pray for me, and that, as we've seen before in the earlier text, that will actually have an impact on the heavens. 
The other thing he says with, him, with this, I'll end, the reason why he wants people eventually, when he really realizes that he's sick, to um, to know about it, is that even the people who don't like him, all the people who hate me, who don't feel good about it, what will they do um, when they know I'm sick? They're going to rejoice in the fact that I'm sick. Well, that seems like a weird thing to want to happen. Wouldn't you want the people who hate you to not rejoice? He quotes an interesting verse from the 24th chapter of Mishlei, um, of Proverbs, verse 17, which basically says, I'll paraphrase it, that you shouldn't be joyful at your enemy's downfall. Rather, it's when your enemies rejoice uh, that God will have mercy on you. It's this interesting theology that suggests that... um, First of all, I think it's born out of a uh, of an experience of the Jewish consciousness always seeing the people who are against us or seemingly to see them rejoice. And the rabbis uh, create a theology that suggests that if your enemies are rejoicing, it means that momentarily you're in a, in a bad place. But God will witness that. And God loves us. And God will convert your enemy's joyful energy to positive things towards you. So he even wants the people who hate him out there in the marketplace, out there in the community to rejoice so that God will see his enemies rejoicing. And since he knows he's a tzaddik, he's a righteous person, God will recompense that to him positively. I want to translate in that into the modern idiom to suggest that it is very easy to be down and downcast uh, and low when we find the people who um, don't like us or, or are not kind to us uh, smugly rejoicing. That happens. It happens you know, when you're a kid in middle school and you know, on the fringes of bullying. It happens even in an adult community. Uh, the first reaction to that is to get defensive. It is to have one's heart ache for the situation. Uh, what Rava is describing here on both a theological and a communal level is the notion that perhaps another reaction to seeing the people who don't like us to rejoice is t- for that very thing to give us um, a sense of determination uh, and perseverance, whether we believe that it's coming from God or coming from inside our own souls, that we can overcome even those who don't like us rejoicing over us. So I wrap all this up by saying, first of all, go visit the sick when you have an opportunity. It's always the right decision. Number two, when you are saying a mishaberach for someone else or for someone is saying a mishaberach for you, uh, you know, don't discount the, the streams of consciousness that might con- have that contribute to your healing. Number three, when you do a mitzvah, uh, usually that leads to another mitzvah that you weren't even aware was possible. And number four, obviously we want the people to love us, who love us to ask for our healing. But even if you are confronted with someone who doesn't like you, who's not treating you well, and it seems that in the moment they are rejoicing over your despair, know that you have an inner strength that comes from God and comes from your sense of self that will overcome that moment and will lead you to a place of, of strength um, and, um, and achievement. And I wish that for all of us as we go through our lives, as we continue our study of the text. Shalom. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.